Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Aaron Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. President Biden is on his way to an important international summit in Brussels where a lot will be discussed. Uh, apparently, they're considering kicking Russia out of the G20. Uh, they were already kicked out of the G8, which is mm-hmm. why it's the G7, and several other international organizations. And um, the longer Russia fucks around in Ukraine, the more things are going to kick them out. Mm-hmm. Basically. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is this. Did Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine because he wanted to attend fewer meetings? I mean, I feel like he wasn't so welcome at them to begin with. So maybe he's just like, yo, this is what they're going to do. I know this is what they're going to do. And he can just like sit alone at that big table all day long now. <laughs> I know. He doesn't seem like he'd be very fun at parties or meetings. No. Um, but I was just thinking, you know, if he if he did, if he was like, you know what, I want to attend fewer meetings, it would have been like the new could this meeting have been an email is could this email have been a European ground war, which uh, for Vladimir Putin, yes, it could have it been. It could have been. Could have been. Yeah. Anyway, fuck that guy. Fuck. Th- I was just going to say, can we say fuck that? Fuck that guy. Fuck that like, guy. Like, seriously. I mean, he's like a fucking horrible fucking human monster being. like he is a criminal. monster like we're yeah. not making fun of him he's a fucking terrible person no i eagerly await the day that he has a grave so that i may dance upon it yes agree yes yes mm-hmm. and yeah maybe it's a pilgrimage we could do together oh that'd be so fun hysteria field trip This week, we are joined by Rebecca Coakley, Tian Tran, and Kara Clank to tackle the following questions. Why are the Senate's worst people hijacking Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings? What is the ADA and why do we need it now more than ever? What can be done about partner abuse that happens not only in plain sight, but in front of millions of social media users? And what stomach-churning horror trope is suddenly everywhere and why? All this and more right now. 
lot of news going on this week. I have some some personal news. What's their personal news? My personal news is, uh, well, you know it, and the listeners don't because this is an audio medium, but my personal news is I'm wearing a t-shirt oh, yeah. today that says... <laughs> You look so scared for a second. I was my like, per- what? What? <laughs> no, my personal news is I'm wearing a t-shirt that says divorce your Republican husband. And um, it's awesome. It's it's cool. I bought it off Etsy because I saw a woman wearing one on TikTok. And I was like, is this purchasable? And it turns out it is. But <laughs> here's, uh, here's something about this shirt. It's a really good way to get dirty looks from men if you go out. Who doesn't want that? I mean, I already get them, so whatever. Um, But, you know, I got a couple dirty looks and and one guy made a comment about it when I was just like picking up coffee this morning. And my thought was like, look, dude, if your wife is a novelty t-shirt away from divorcing you, like, that's not my fault. No. You you pushed her to the the place where all— She was going to see a different novelty t-shirt, perhaps a bumper sticker that would have pushed her over the edge. So either way, don't blame me. Not your fault. Not my personal, the man's fault, probably. But definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the Katanji Brown Jackson SCOTUS hearings. Mm. What are your takeaways from the first couple of days? I know that when listeners hear this, it'll be, uh, we'll be past day three. Uh, but what are your impressions so far? Uh, that we don't need to do these anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, what do you mean? I wouldn't say these are a productive use of anybody's time. I mean, when you get a bunch of fucking Republican, and look, let me just be clear. We've watched all the SCOTUS hearings. I would say that some Democrats didn't really perform great during the Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Comey Barrett hearings. Like people just get super trite and it it sort of, it makes everything seem trite, I think, at that point. Right. Um, but I mean, look. I'm not a Republican. I'm a Democrat. So let me tell you why these suck and are stupid. And it's because everyone is auditioning for QAnon. I think all the Republicans are auditioning for QAnon's endorsement in 2024. So it's not even that this is trite. It's stupid. I mean, Mm -hmm. Josh Hawley going so deep. Also, here's the thing. I want questions that candidates, nominees can actually answer. The questions that Josh Hawley's staff went down the rabbit hole of the internet on, she simply couldn't have answered. Nobody's memory is that good. And then, I mean, Ted Cruz, anti-racist babies, that was one for the books. And then Marsha, Nobel laureate, Blackburn. That woman is so dumb. Her questions were so stupid. And let's be honest, No amount of, Judge Jackson, you are so incredible. You are so smart and articulate. God, someone tell them to stop using that word. Uh. And you are so accomplished, dot, dot, dot. Now let me insert the dumbest question that has no bearing on this hearing or life in general uh, while we're here. And so Mm -hmm. that is my takeaway um, though the my favorite moment I think does involve Marsha because she asked Judge Jackson to define what a woman was and Judge Jackson just said I'm not a biologist <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I think Judge Jackson's face was just like a master class in dealing with exhausting people yeah or like Xanax. <laughs> yeah, right. She was just sitting there just like, l- like listening, obviously, and sort of like, are you done? Like, when are right. you going to- Where's when the are you question? Gonna be done? 
Yeah, and she was like rising above all the the bullshittery. But Alyssa, I completely agree with you that the grandstanding at these things has gotten completely out of hand. Lindsey Graham stomping, flouncing out of there. Like, come on, dude. You voted for her confirmation to the D.C. Circuit like not long ago. Like, this is so exhausting and performative and silly and yeah, they're all trying to get on Fox News and they're all trying to, I feel like they should have 10 seconds to ask a question. 10 yeah, seconds the per 30 question. minutes, the 30 minutes is fucking terrible. Like yeah. nothing good comes of it because also no one yields back their time. Everyone yeah. uses their full 30 minutes and it's literally to hear themselves talk. Right. And, but that's the thing. I think that they should change the rules. So they have to be questions and they yeah. have a limit of, of 20 seconds to ask the question. And if it is not a question ruled by the parliamentarian, they lose the rest of their time. Right. And you know, back in the day, this was only on C-SPAN. Now, do I think that we should be watching this? I do. But I think that a lot of these lawmakers are like, I'm going to be on CNN, Fox and MSNBC all day. Let's make it good. You know? Yeah. So I want to talk about something that really did make me feel good, though, which is the judge herself. Um, She's she's a great speaker. She is so obviously the most intelligent person in the room. Um, She's so qualified. And, you know, she's so qualified that that Republicans are resorting to like the wildest, most ridiculous histrionics trying to make the case to derail her. And there's really nothing nothing to derail. Like she's so, this is what she was born to do. Like she yes. was, she was born to do this and she's, I think she's going to make such a great Supreme court justice. And there's no indication that any Democrats are wavering on supporting her. And Lisa Murkowski still has a, a good head on her shoulders. So I wouldn't be surprised if she uh, supported her, but yeah, it's just sort of like the, the histrionics are, are just tedious. Exhausting. Exhausting. I wanted to single out um, a moment. I'm, I'm sure that Strict Scrutiny uh, podcast on the Crooked Network. If you guys don't listen, you should listen. It's great. Um, I'm sure they're going to be getting into this more deeply. Um, but I wanted to single out kind of a like more superficial moment. <laughs> and that was at the beginning during Judge Jackson's opening statement when she singled out her husband, Dr. Patrick Jackson. Mm-hmm as somebody that was just a great husband and father and, you know, support for her. And we had talked about uh, Patrick Jackson on the show before as like, he's a, he's a surgeon and he used to get off of like 24 hour shifts at the hospital so that he could watch his wife. Yes. Like he was such a big fan of her. And one time somebody asked if they should get the homeless man out of the courtroom because he was so disheveled from this long shift. But he's like such a huge fan of his wife. He was wiping tears away, watching her give her opening statement. He was so proud of her. Like the pride that that man has for his incredible wife was just like made me like tear up a little bit. And I just was thinking, you know, in a world of Dr. Patrick Jackson's and Marty Ginsburg's, there was no reason to settle for a Mel Gibson. You know, there is no reason, no reason to settle for a Ted Cruz. We live in a world where there are Patrick Jackson's and Marty Ginsburg's. And so just remember that. Yes. Aaron, such a good flag. Don't settle for a Ted Cruz when there's a Dr. Patrick Jackson out there. And if you don't find your Dr. Patrick Jackson, that's fine. Better, better with yourself. A hundred percent cosign. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the hearings are ongoing. Um, nothing happened to change anybody's mind. Uh, you know, senators got to hear themselves. I also wanted to single out uh, Senator Hirono, Maisie Hirono from Hawaii. Yes! Who had a great moment. One of the Republican spaghetti at the wall tactics was to paint Judge Jackson as somehow soft on child pornography. And uh, Senator Hirono used her time to elucidate how judges that Republicans confirmed basically treated child pornographers the exact same way. Um, That it is pretty, there are a lot of factors that go in, like Judge Jackson said, to laying out sentences. And it's very much an oversimplification to present her sentencing as like, just her using her discretion. Yes. Um, and, and like Republican appointed judges do the exact goddamn same thing. And so, yeah. I mean, but, you know, these people have no shame. So, of course, they're going to keep harping on this. Um, let's see. Do we have any other news today we want to talk about? I mean. Anything else? I feel like we let Judge Jackson stand on her own. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see her on the court. Can't wait. I think she's going to be a great addition to the court. First black woman in American history mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court and really, really excited to see that. So yes. um, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we have an interview that I'm really, really stoked about. Very excited. And welcome back. Joining us today is Rebecca Coakley. Rebecca is a disability rights activist and is currently the first U.S. disability rights program officer for the Ford Foundation. The program seeks to build a pipeline of diverse leadership, promote disability pride, and mobilize resources for disability rights work. Before that, Rebecca was the co-founder and director of the Disability Justice Initiative at the Center for American Progress, where she built out a progressive policy platform that protected the rights and services of people with disabilities and what they depend on for survival. She is a mom and a self-described nerd and policy wonk, you will fit right in here. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. Um, We've wanted you on the show for quite some time, and I'm really, really glad that it's worked out. The fangirling is mutual. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Like, what's the path that led you to the work that you're currently doing? Definitely. So I had the fortune of growing up in a household with two parents with the same disability that I have, which is achondroplasia or the most common form of dwarfism. And both of my parents were activists, uh, which was not either of their real intention. My dad grew up the son of an ultra conservative, super racist federal judge in Selma, Alabama. Hmm. And my mom was one of nine redheaded hippie flower children outside of San Francisco. And they met in the 70s at a little people convention. And my dad went back to Selma and threw everything he owned in the back of his 69 Camaro and drove cross country and they eloped. Um, Whoa. And both of, yeah, and both of them, I mean, my dad, my parents were very open about my dad's family history. Like we talked about, Um, the Reverend Reeb trial, which my grandfather oversaw. We talked about the fact that my grandfather was responsible for the injunction or what they called the John Lewis injunction, um, which was the the ruling that said three or more African-Americans that congregated talking about voting in Alabama could constitute a mob. And they were like, that is not the path that we're going down. And I think also being in the Bay Area at 
late 70s, early 80s at the height of the AIDS epidemic. Both of them worked in the disability policy space. And those were disabled folks that they were seeing being impacted. And my parents were very much like, we have to show up for other communities. That's our responsibility. And so I grew up a, like a politics junkie, watching election night returns, working for Congressman Lantos, who was my local legislator, um, you know, literally meeting then state Senator Barack Obama on the rooftop of 101 Constitution Avenue at a $15 person fundraiser hosted by Ted Kennedy. Like my path was set sort of from, from that point on. Wow. That's really cool. Um, also, I want to watch the movie about your parents. Yeah, like, definitely. That, that's, you know, one of these days, one of these days. Definitely. That's like the, that could save the rom-com as a genre. I think. <laughs> So, Rebecca, according to the CDC, currently in the U.S., there are 61 million adults uh, living with a disability, and globally, that's about a billion adults. And yet, the Americans with Disabilities Act was only signed officially into law in 1990. What did people with disabilities do before that? And can you talk to us a little bit about what the ADA means to people with disabilities? That 61 million number is important because it's important to remember that that's pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID is going to result in the largest disability population boom since AIDS and HIV in the 80s and since sort of the post-Vietnam era. So we are talking like a massive, at least a million plus more disabled people in the U.S. alone because of long COVID. Um, so prior to the ADA, disabled people didn't go places. You didn't have a right to public accommodations. There was no right to captioning on television. Somebody could literally say to you, as I've had said to me, even, even post the ADA, we'd really like to hire you, but an organization like ours is not ambitious enough to hire someone like you. And that would be okay. Um, my mom was denied tenure for only being able to reach the bottom six inches of a chalkboard you know, back in the pre-ADA days, even though you could use like overhead projectors, like even just the bad 70s and 80s tech existed. But her, the college she worked at for years was able to say, we're going to deny you tenure because our field of vision for what you're capable of is limited to the bottom six inches of a chalkboard. Oh, oh boy. And, you know, when you think about who we're talking about, it's a massive group. The, the thing I think is so beautiful about the ADA is how broad the definition is. Mm -hmm. It's any mental or physical impairment which impacts the activities of daily living for someone. So they could really vary from any of us. Like what's a, what's a daily activity for me could be different than it is for you. Mm -hmm. um, a record or a history of such impairment. So that protects people who are cancer survivors, veterans, et cetera who may not be currently experiencing disability, but they went through an experience that actually disabled them um, or regarded as. So people with like facial disfigurements and whatnot. So this definition is broad enough to include kids in Flint, Michigan that are like 2,800 days plus out without clean drinking water and have acquired learning disabilities because of it. It's broad enough to include women experiencing postpartum depression, people that live with gastrointestinal issues like IBS or IBD. And it's broad enough to include folks with long COVID. Mm -hmm. It really was like the original big tent policy. And when you think about what that means as a, as a coalition and also as a political base, that's massive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy that it was a George H.W. Bush initiative, right? It's not. Okay. Because 
President Bush had lost a child to leukemia when she was three. He had an, um, his son, George W. Bush, as somebody living with, uh, who's in recovery because of a substance abuse disorder, recovery counts as a disability. So we had a son with a disability. You also had Attorney General Dick Thornburg, who had a son with an intellectual disability, who for a period of time, he was a single dad raising his three boys. And you had folks like Boyd and Gray also in the White House who had a personal connection to disability. So even at that time, there was an awareness. And I would actually argue that that was the last time we actually saw strong bipartisan support for civil rights legislation was the ADA. And it was also frankly, and I will argue with my elders about this till the cows come home, the last time that disability was a bipartisan issue. Wow. Rebecca, you mentioned long COVID. In what ways has the pandemic affected people with disabilities? And we've seen COVID characterized as a mass disabling event. Are we prepared for long COVID? We are completely unprepared for long COVID. And we have a history of being unprepared for post-viral illnesses in general. The symptoms in long COVID have existed way prior to COVID-19. They existed through illnesses like uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis or what we used to call chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, fibromyalgia, a lot of these illnesses that frankly, predominantly hysteria is a great example. Illness, illnesses that were predominantly targeted around women and communities of color that people were told you're making it up. It's all in your head. You're a fraud. And many of those symptoms, exhaustion, um, issues around loss of sense of smell, sense of taste, brain fog, all of these things are really exhibited in what we're seeing in long COVID today. Now, I also think that it's really interesting because in many ways, COVID made things harder for parts of the disability community. COVID also made things easier for other parts of the community. So for example, people, you know, we have as a community asked for telework for over 30 years. And we were told that is not a reasonable accommodation. And then COVID hits. And it's so cute. The non-disabled population, Columbus telework. They, they like <laughs> planted a flag and we're like, we have discovered this thing called telework. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. You can work from home at your pace with the right supports and technology. And so we actually saw an increase in disability employment in a really interesting way because people were able to do their jobs from home with the supports that they needed because everybody was doing it. You had students with certain types of disabilities uh, in school and on college, you know, both in K through 12 and in post-secondary who had been denied accommodations that all of a sudden could access the learning, their learning needs better. You know, and that wasn't necessarily true for everybody, but for a certain part of the population, there was an actual game made. And now what we're seeing happen as we start rolling back all these protections and all these, these enhancements that we made to our society is those people are now having the floor pulled out from under them and being told, oh, all of a sudden we can't do remote learning. I'm sorry, you can't work from home even though you've proven that you can do the job successfully for almost two and a half years now. And so it continues to be a significant issue for the community. And on the flip side, it's meant that people with autoimmune disabilities can't go outside. I was talking to somebody recently um, and they were saying to me about, we were talking about our grantees and they were like, oh, isn't it so great that your grantees can get back to work now? 
And I said, who's grantees? And they're like, well, all of our grantees. And my response was, my grantees haven't left the house in two and a half years. My grantees are still bearing staff. And so the reality for the disability community in this moment has been just a reminder of the short memory of, of American society to be like, all right, that sucked. Let's move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but we're still struggling. We're still being left behind in this moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get a little bit wonky here, Rebecca, because um, you mentioned reasonable accommodations for people with disabilities and moving into the post-COVID world, it seems like a lot of reasonable accommodations are being rolled back, like you mentioned. Um do you expect to see lawsuits under the ADA along those lines? And if those lawsuits make it all the way to the Supreme Court, there are some analysts that say that SCOTUS might weaken the ADA. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, And are you kind of feeling like a Cassandra here? Are you feeling optimistic? Like what's the temperature? Oh, you speak my language. Alice Wong and I always talk about Mm -hmm. being a disabled Oracle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked about seeing the pandemic coming uh, March 2017, the minute we saw the Trump administration roll back infection control standards in nursing homes, we were like, oh, this is not good. Something is going to happen and it's going to be exponentially craptastic. Oh, no. Um, you know, and, and I think there's a couple of issues around the ADA. The first piece is we also need to acknowledge that even Democrats have actually moved to weaken the ADA. H.R. 620, which was actually passed by the House of Representatives back in 2018, was sponsored by you know my one of my childhood heroes, even Representative Jackie Spear, and it would have rolled back the Title III provisions, the access to public accommodations for people with disabilities. So we've seen both legislative attacks as well as attacks in the court system. You know, most recently there were two major cases this year: CVS versus Doe where the plaintiffs had pharmacy insurance coverage managed by CBS. And they said that they were having problems accessing their HIV meds and related advice from pharmacists because of CBS's new rules for these medications. And CBS denied them the accommodations that they needed to be able to access their HIV meds. And so they ended up suing and um, it's weird to say this, but, but thankfully, you know, thankfully CBS settled because we were really terrified of it going to the Supreme Court, you know? And even just a few weeks ago, we saw Payen versus LA County Community College District, where blind students were suing Community College District for denial of accommodations, whether it be screen readers, note takers, or other forms of assistive technology that they needed to to be able to access. And the courts are in such a bad place right now where literally any time a case is brought collectively as a community, we all hold our breath and it's just like, please don't let it go further. Like, please let them settle. Please, you know, let's actively like fight to, to get this thing tabled because we won't be able to hold on to the ADA the way that the court is currently structured. Mm. Well, that's, that's uh, upsetting. <laughs> Very. You know, and I do think, I think we are going to see more cases with COVID because I think that there is going to be a desire, you know, along with that desire to move on and move ahead there's going to be a desire to not accommodate people, to continue to make the complaint that, oh, it's too expensive to accommodate people. Well, you can't really say that Mm -hmm. anymore, Um, you know, but I think within the disability, one of our our needs for focus moving forward is is really the courts. You know, we've seen tremendous gains in Congress. We've seen more people with disabilities elected to Congress. We've seen more disabled people self-identify once they got to Congress. You know, representatives Porter and Presley and and 
Tina Snow and others, Senator Tina Snow and others have really self-identified once they've gotten in office. Um, but they're not enough to hold the line for, for some of these pieces of legislation that could do a lot of harm to the community. Rebecca, what's the biggest misconception people have about people with disabilities? I think it's that we're fakers, takers, and money makers. Like that's the line that Rebecca Vallis and I tend to use. Like there's this conception that, or there's this idea out there that if you're disabled, you get all these benefits that like you just like announce, hi, I'm disabled. And people start throwing money at you. People start throwing rights at you. And they forget the fact that like we had to legally fight for everything that we have. Nobody wants to be on public benefits. You know, it's, you can't, like we live in a state right now where um, you can't have more than $2,000 in a checking account or you lose your health care if you're on SSI. You can't get married and receive public benefits or you lose your health care. Your parents can't let you live on their couch or it counts against your in-kind benefit levels and you lose your health care. I mean, we had, I had an intern years ago that got accepted for a free ride to Harvard Law School. And he lived in Illinois. And he had to turn down the free ride because we don't have Medicaid portability in this country. And so in the state of Illinois, he got 12 hours of home care. He got somebody to help him cut up his food. He got somebody to help bathe him and get him dressed every day. In Massachusetts, he would have gotten seven. Hmm. His life is forever altered. He went to a great law school. He's got a great career but a full ride to Harvard Law, and he had to turn it down because we don't have true equality as people with disabilities. But yet I think that there is this assumption by a lot of people in society that we get whatever we want, that this isn't something, that this is not an earned civil right, that what we're getting is is extra or special treatment when it's so far from the truth. Hmm. For listeners with children, are there shows other than Sesame Street that teach a disability inclusive world? We're actually seeing it more in um, in different forms of media. Like I've actually been really impressed in comic book spaces and graphic novel spaces. This is me nerding out um, to see, you know, an increased presence of kids with disabilities. Um, the children's author, Andrea Beatty, who does like Rosie Revere engineer Many of those characters are coded as students with disabilities. The mayor in that town is gay and disabled, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, I think we're continuing to see a greater presence, but there isn't enough done. One of my grantees that I'm a huge fan of is called the Inevitable Foundation. And they're actually working to promote screenwriters with disabilities because it's not just about having a disabled actor in a situation. If the storyline is crap, we're not communicating the right message. And so really working to get people behind the scenes, because let's be real, that's also where the power is, shaking up what some of these storylines are. And I think we've seen, there was a moment three weeks ago where three nights in a row, I saw a positive portrayal of a little person on television. And that has never happened. And like, there were no elves involved. Hmm. Um, You know, I think disabled people will have full equality when we get to have our really crappy Hallmark holiday movie. Like when, you know, everybody sits there and is like, oh, there's a Latino Hallmark movie this year. Oh, there's an African-American Hallmark movie this year. Oh, there's an LGBT cheesy Christmas movie. When we get ours, then I think we'll have achieved something. 
Oh, I would 100% watch that. That sounds like, sounds great. You should, you should run Hollywood. I'm already working on writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I don't want to take too much more of your time, Rebecca, but because it's Women's History Month, um, who is a woman disability rights activist, uh, you know, from history, who you think our listeners should know about and what makes her so cool? To me, one of the most important disabled women in history is Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, often her disability is written out, but Fannie Lou had polio and it led to her being involuntarily sterilized without her knowledge and against her will. And so when she would protest, she would specifically fall in such a way to fold in the right side of her body, which was the side that was impacted. Um, you know, women with disabilities still really struggle with our access to our reproductive rights. When I had my daughter, um, shortly after I left the White House in 2013, uh, the anesthesiologist asked my OBGYN if she was going to sterilize me. I was laying on, on the, the back. I was laying on the operating table at Sibley Hospital. And he said, so while you're down there, you're just going to take care of things. People like her don't need to have more kids. What? No. In the name of fuck. That was that was pretty much my 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 moment of what the fuck. Like I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. And my husband is behind me, like being like, calm down. We're gonna like this is okay. And my OB, who I love to death, like looked at, gave him the death stare and was like, You can leave now. I wanna see, like, send in your attending and I'm going to speak with him after this. Your behavior is completely inappropriate. But I mean, the, the case Buck v. Bell, which allows the involuntary sterilization of disabled people, is still law. Mm -hmm. Kavanaugh used it in his confirmation hearing. Like he talked about uh, upholding the Doe versus D.C. case, which forced two disabled women in D.C. that were institutionalized to have abortions without their knowledge and their will. And, you know, to me, the fact that Fannie Lou Hamer went through that all the way back in the, the 40s and 50s, you know, and the fact that she was when she decided to have kids, she went back and told her doctor, I keep trying to get pregnant and I can't get pregnant. And they're like, oh, you can't get pregnant because we sterilized you. Because people like you, uh, a black woman with a disability, don't need to have kids. The fact that that is still happening today and that that court case is still out there still shows how far we really need to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Buck v. Bell, anything written about it is the most depressing thing that you will read all day. It is. We will have something exciting to share on it later this year. We're, we're working on something really sneaky. Ooh, sneaky. Well, you're going to have to come back on the show, Rebecca, when you can talk about the sneaky, cool thing you're working on when it comes to Buck v. Bell, because we would love to talk to you about it. Definitely. Count me in. All right, Rebecca Coakley, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a break. When we come back, personal political. Women's History Month should acknowledge the complicated, the messy, the countercultural, the revolutionary, the boat rockers, the overlooked, but it often doesn't. And so, in that spirit, we bring you the fourth episode of a month-long set of minis on women you should know we're calling Madam Hysteria. This week's Madam Hysteria is American fashion designer Anne Lowe, one of the 20th century's leading fashion pioneers who to this day is left out of conversations despite being one of the most sought-after creators of her time. 
Born in 1898, Anne got her first big break after designing four ball gowns for the First Lady of Alabama. On the heels of this success, she moved to New York City, where she eventually opened Anne Lowe's Gowns in Harlem. She became the go-to dress designer for the highest of high society. Think Rockefellers. She was called society's best-kept secret. In this time, Anne was commissioned for a major, major gig to design and create Jackie Kennedy's wedding dress, plus all the gowns for the bridal party. But Anne was robbed of this career-defining moment when Jackie Kennedy herself snubbed the designer by failing to name her and instead lamenting that she wished she had gone to France for her dress. But Anne continued on, and in 1968, she became the first black woman to open a store on Madison Avenue, no longer society's best-kept secret, as they said. But as a black woman in a predominantly white space, Anne was taken advantage of by her wealthy clients and fell into debt, debt that was eventually paid off anonymously, some say by Jackie O herself. Anne is now finally getting her due and is remembered as a pioneering African-American designer. Her pieces are preserved in renowned museum collections, including the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And now you know. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Personal Political. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. And welcome back. Alyssa, I have a question for you, and I can kind of predict the answer, I think. Okay, we'll see. How how many hours of your life have you devoted to thinking about members of the Kardashian family in your life? Okay, so if we're being honest, when I was younger, a lot more than I do now. So like, like a work week's worth of hours, maybe? 40 hours? In my whole life? Yes. I would say, I'd say that's fair. Yeah. I just, I, I've never watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians, not a single episode. And I'm, oh, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm not like the other girls because I am exactly like the other girls in many ways. But that is one way in which uh, I, I. The the original Kardashians, the, like the original seasons, I was, I loved them. I thought they were the funniest, funnest people ever. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, com- they're compelling television, I guess. I've heard from other people who watch it, but I, I, I cannot avoid having them seep into my brain. And that is, I think, the genius of that family is they somehow figure out. It's like how Facebook can track you. Even if you yeah. don't have a Facebook account, they make up like a shadow Facebook account for people who don't have Facebook accounts. That's the Kardashians getting into my brain, getting into everybody's brain. Um, and there have been some Kardashian headlines lately that I think, you know, it was the Kim Kardashian of times, it was the Kim Kardashian of times, sort of a situation. So we're going to talk a little bit about a few headlines that have had to do with the Kardashians, but that have gone into kind of some deeper issues today. And joining us for that conversation, two of our favorites, two of your favorites. First, you can catch her on How I Met Your Father. All 10 episodes are available now on Hulu. Um, Plus, How I Met Your Father was just picked up for season two. Tian Tran, welcome. 
Hello. So happy to be here. Can I just say you steal the show? Totally. You are you're totally biased. And I will absolutely take it and put it in my pocket. (laughs) You guys are very good friends and I will take it. No, every time you came you came on screen, it was like, oh, this this scene is going to make me laugh. Like there are some, you know, because like, you know, the the mains have sort of like the the a lot of the like emotional moments where they're not necessarily all supposed to be funny. But every time you come on screen, even in scenes that are like that have emotional depth, I'm like, there's going to be something something funny is going to happen. in this. (laughs) Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, and excited about season two because I will be watching. I don't know who the father is. I am, I'm flummoxed. I'm flummoxed. I don't know either. I think they're. I think they're going to tell us one thing as a cast and then just like be switching it on us the entire time. So I'm. I'm not even going to try to guess. Oh yeah, I think that's probably that's probably best. Just like <laughs> let the writing take you where it's going to take you. Um, and up next, she's a writer, comedian, and her podcast, That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast, is going on tour, and you can catch her in L.A. this Saturday, the 26th, at Dynasty Typewriter. Tickets are available at DynastyTypewriter.com. It's Kara Clank. Kara, welcome. Thank you so much. That's also a live stream if anyone doesn't live in L.A. Woo! You can watch it from far away. I just Ooh. needed to extend my plug. And uh, <laughs> your, your co-host, Liza, is also hilarious. Yes, Lisa, she does Lisa. go by. But she, she is she is of Russian descent, and so it is Lisa. Yes. Oh, are you giving her shit, like extra shit lately? Because no, because she's actually like escaped from the Ukraine and is like very, very upset by everything that's happening. Oh, so good. good. I, we, you're holding we have, her. You're holding her back. I'm you're holding, like, do not go over there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to go personally take up fisticuffs against Vladimir Putin. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's definitely very, uh, we raised a bunch of money on our podcast. We did like personalized thank you videos for people who donated and stuff. And like, we've been trying to oh, that's give great. money. Yeah. That's great. Um, I have a question for you and I bet that Lisa would have an answer for this. Like, cause she's probably envisioned it. If Lisa were to punch Vladimir Putin in the face, what would happen? Would his face explode? Like visually, what would that look like? I mean, what I'd like to see is just for him to start crying, right? I would just like to see him start bawling like a little baby, you know? (laughs) And then maybe stumble backwards into like an endless chasm or something like that where we can kind of watch him fall for a while. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's me. I mean, Lisa probably would have like a very colorful description of what she would want. And you know what? I'll ask her on my next podcast. If you guys all listen, I'll, I'll ask her and we'll address this on our podcast. Inquiring minds, inquiring (laughs) minds. We really, we really want to know. Um, so let's get into what we're going to talk about today. And that is the variety of headlines about (laughs) Kim Kardashian and Kanye West that bring up deeper issues. So Tian, I'm going to start with you. Um, good. I, I love, I'm a he, expert. A Kardashian <laughs> expert. So I want, I want to start with a story where we could, we can kind of start a little bit lighter and then I'm going to get into like the, the heavier one. So, um, are you familiar with what Kim Kardashian recently said about Americans work ethic? I did. I did. I saw the quote. I saw it memed all over <laughs> the place. 
that was the extent to which I was exposed to it. I didn't have any. All I want is Kardashian out of context. So that's how I <laughs> live my Internet life is a Kardashian quote out of context. I don't feel like this one really needs con- no. context. Like there is no context that would make uh, a billionaire saying nobody wants to get their asses up and work. Yeah. Get your ass up and work. Like what were, what was your reaction? Was did you expect her to say something like that? Do you think she said the quiet part loud? Like what of did course. you think? I feel like every billionaire is like bootstraps mentality. They're not going to be like I was handed this money and I made more money off of all the money that I was handed. So I'm like it fits in with their entire sort of brand of just being like yeah, that they that they worked very, very extra hard for the billions of dollars that they had. So I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. I didn't think she was going to have some sort of nuanced critique of capitalism. <laughs> if she did, I'd be like, whoa, she's incredible. Uh, she is a lawyer. She is a lawyer. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Is she? she, she yeah. Passed, she passed I, the baby bar, which allows yeah. her to take the regular bar. I think. I don't think she's pra- a practicing lawyer. I don't think, she, <laughs> I mean, I don't think just, she's licensed. I think that she just is yeah. now entitled to take the bar in California. I just saw an interview where she was talking about how Pete has her name branded on him. I and saw that. she discussed how oh. he has a tattoo that said, my girl is a lawyer. So okay. she's enough of a lawyer that her boyfriend had it put on his skin forever, I guess. I guess yeah. most lawyers do that, right? They do that to their partners. <laughs> I think that's what they all do. Yeah, um, I know a woman who's a defense attorney who has a giant tattoo that says not guilty on her arm. And yes, it is kind of badass. Um, I mean, I just I didn't expect Kim to like highlight all the like systemic barriers for people to like. Of course. (laughs) Well, what if Kim Kardashian like joined DSA? Like, wouldn't that be incredible? Like, because I I was thinking when when I read this, I was just like, oh, God, I don't, I'm tired of keeping up with you. I feel like you <laughs> tied me to the back of your car and you're dragging me along. I don't want to keep up. Cut <laughs> me loose. Um, I, I felt like, you know, and I tweeted something to this effect, but I think that that Kim Kardashian has done a really good job at like branding herself on the very edge of what the zeitgeist considers a villain. So like when she first came into the, you know, into the public eye, she was a woman having sex on film, you know, which is like just at the very end. That was like kind of toward the end of the like obsession in the 90s and early aughts with pop stars virginity and, you know, when, oh, Jessica Simpson and, you know, who's, are you a virgin? When are you going to lose your virginity? Virginity, virginity, virginity. And that was like right at the end of that. So she sort of like was at the, she was like, uh, yes, but no. And then she kind of became like an influencer, but the original influencer. So she was doing the influencer thing before other people were doing it. So she, it, so she was, she, she was kind of like, against social media, but with social media. And now she's sort of like the billionaire who thinks that that work is what leads to being a billionaire, which is like on the edge of like girl boss and burn it all down capitalism type stuff. So I think like that's sort of a a savvy move. Uh, Kara, what do you make of her comments though? Like, are you, are you mad about them? Have they stayed in your head? Well, when I first heard it, I was like, this bitch. But then I talked about it with Lisa a little bit, actually, on our podcast. And she was like, 
she was like, well, she's not really talking to you. She's not really talking to everybody. Like she's really kind of talking. I, she felt like to influencers. And that was like sort of a different way of looking at it. She's talking to people who are like her. Mm-hmm. She's like, if you're like an influencer and you think you can just sit there like taking pictures and like make it like, you know, if you in a bikini, like, no, you need to diversify. You need to get brand deals, blah, blah, blah. I think that almost makes it make more sense to me. But I think we're also being generous with that <laughs> idea that that's what Kim was talking about. You know, like, because, but like you are who you surround yourself. I mean, like, who do you know? Like, I don't think Kim knows that many people who get up and go to nine to five jobs. You know what I mean? Like, right. so her if staff, she's looking around, sta- I was going to say her, her nannies, like <laughs> her nannies. Yeah. But like, you know what I mean? Like the people that she surrounds herself with, I'm sure like that she sees in it and she's like, you know what? That person could seriously be getting into the swimwear space and they're just not getting off their ass to do it. You know, like. I I think maybe it was a little bit of that, but also, yeah, like she has no idea what like an average person goes through. And I just never want to hear anything about work from someone who like started on third and thinks they hit a triple or whatever that (laughs) phrase is, you know, like, like you just, you know, you grow up in Beverly Hills, like, or, you know, some rich part of LA. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it because I almost feel like, what are you talking about? Like, we're in the middle of gig economy. Like, we're like, people are starting their own businesses, like, left and right. Like, people are working, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I would like her to elaborate on who the nobody is. Like, who's nobody wants to work these days? Who are you talking about, girl? Yeah. Alyssa, I wonder, like, how, if, like, there the, the firestorm that happened afterwards, the shit storm, if you will, had to do with the fact that we're at the end of a pandemic that made a lot of people work so hard that they were like stretched to the brink? Well, it's not just that. People didn't just, I mean, people worked hard. People lost their jobs. I mean, so many people were unemployed. They took jobs that were not what they wanted just to be able to have fucking healthcare during a pandemic. And and I think that what was so terrible about what she said was that it's so clear, like none of us would say what she said because we know one, that it's wrong, and then also what the backlash would be. And it's so clear that she just, like, didn't think, like, and then Courtney chimes in and is like, yes. That's so what killed right. me. It was Dead so eye, bad. Courtney. Yeah, can someone explain that to me? Courtney? Yeah. Oh, no. So Kim's like, I just, like, people don't work hard. People don't want to work hard. And then Courtney was like, yes. It was like She goes, she said something, like, so true. And I'm like, dead-eyed Courtney, like Courtney who has like not an inch of a soul behind her eyes. Like I truly think Courtney has been the most along for the ride of any of them because she seems to be dead. She probably used the like least amount of muscles possible to even say that out loud. That's true. All it takes, you just have to let your jaw slacken a little to say, yeah. No, that's exactly what I did when I said it. <laughs> so she, she's the originator of the uncut gems tone of voice. Uncut so. gems. <laughs> we never really got into uncut gems on here, and and do I, re- do I regret it? No, I think <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a Julia Fox apologist. I think she's electric, and I consider her my muse. Anyway, <laughs> um, Alyssa, like I, I don't know. We've talked a lot about this on the pod, especially when we talk about like depressing stats that come out about how stretched thin caretakers are and most caretakers are women. Like, 
Do you think that people will turn on the Kardashians because of this sort of a mindset? Do you think this is like, they're just, they're fine? I mean, this wasn't, here's the thing. It's not shocking she thinks it. It's only shocking she said it out loud. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like we weren't appalled because we were like, oh my God, I thought that Kim was a member of DSA. Like it was, (laughs) it was more like, girl, come on. (laughs) Like, like didn't Chris teach you better when she holds that giant Goyard suitcase that says rich as fuck? Like it's. Like, come on. What was the context of the interview? Like, what was it just a regular interview or no, what? No, it was like a it was like a um like a promo for something. Wasn't it like a promo for the new Photo- season? Yes. They were just like in a void, weren't they? Weren't they in like a weird studio void? Yeah, they were like in a box <laughs> posing. They were posing all in black. Nothing better than like pulling yourself out of the real world, putting yourself in a void and saying that. Right. That's that's the thing. It's like, okay, if a talk show host caught you off guard and that's mm-hmm. what you blurted out, uh, like, I still hate you, but, like, maybe. They could have edited out what she said. Yeah, they could have edited it. She, like, you know, she seemed like she had, like, time to think about it. You know, it's like, No, she thought girl. she was, like, truth-telling or some shit yeah. and that people were going to think she was brave. <laughs> right. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, like, like a, a promotion for like a Kim Kardashian masterclass or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's a pro. It was a promo for the new Hulu show. I think yeah. right, but I'm saying like like after all of this, after all of this huge like blowback, maybe she's like, and now introducing Kardashian University. I mean, she's very Trumpian <laughs> in a lot of ways, and I could see her being like. People don't want to work. I'm going to teach you how to work, bitch. Like, and then she starts her own little, I don't know. You, just, I just think everything's a move with her. I mean, yeah. I, I, the other thing too is that she is not alone in that thinking. Like mm-hmm. so many people think that. There, I've yeah. like, you know, I've come across some of my favorite things to like internet scroll down to is like the weird like aggro mask motivation Instagrams that are like, if you're not a lion, you're not doing like... Ah. <laughs> Oh my God. Like, you're a sheep. You're a sheep. Like if you're not out there like being top and cr- crushing your enemies, then you're never going to like whatever you want. Like that's some of, like she's not alone in thinking that. I think like a lot of the world and America believes that people don't work hard enough and that is why they're in the situation that they're in. Not like, you know, lack of resources and like yeah, social services. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we are pissed, but like, she's probably got people that are like, oh my gosh, yes, Kim, way mm-hmm. to say it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also sort of a backdoor brag, right? Like, it's like nobody wants to work and that is why they don't succeed. Ergo, the reason I have succeeded is because I worked harder than all of you. Like, mm-hmm. every nobody else is willing to go as far as I did. Ergo, I'm better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Which is like, and, and Tan, you're totally right about that mindset being pervasive. Like I remember when I was working in financial services, like there's a, there's a salesy aspect to some of it guys. Surprise, surprise. There's a a salesy aspect to it. And there's this like very insidious, like if you're not, if you're not like at the top of the sales chart, you're not, you know, it's because you're not working hard enough. It's like a sort of Lula Rich kind of thing. Like you make your own success. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I, and I think that it's, the pervasiveness of that thinking is like something that is deeply sick about America because we all, like those of us who are successful and don't see that we are successful in part because of an oppressive 
system. Um, or those of us who are not successful and see the system weighing down on us, but want to believe that we can work our way out of it. Like, it's all very, like, deeply sick to me. Exactly right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how do we get rid of that sickness? Like, what is the, can we inoculate ourselves? Can we just pull our heads out of our asses collectively? Is that possible? <laughs> I wish. I don't know. I don't Insert know. cricket sounds. Oh, boy. I don't know. I, oh. I don't know. Boy. So, so yeah. So, I think we all can agree that this, um, this was a promo. This was something that was planned. This was released with their approval. Maybe they didn't quite understand uh, the extent to which her girl bossing would not be applauded. Um, but, you know, publicity is publicity, you know, so we're talking about them. There, here's something that is a little bit more serious, a lot more serious, that I don't think that the Kardashians are in charge of the narrative on, and that is in the absolute horror show that is the way that Kanye West is handling their breakup. Kara, you're making like a, a face of recognition. Can you kind of like walk through what you know about what you've seen and, and what you think about it? I mean, essentially, you know, Kanye is constantly having a meltdown publicly. Like it's just one prolonged meltdown. So, uh, but I think that there's been a spike since his breakup with Kim and he's publicly attacking her on social media. He's attacking her boyfriend, Pete Davidson. He's attacking random people like, like Trevor Noah. If he says something about this, he'll, he, he posted about him and he posted a racial slur about him. And he also is, um, like he's mad at Kim because she let North have a TikTok. And then he'll say stuff like, I haven't seen my kids in days. And Kim will write back on underneath the, com, uh, the, the Instagram post and go, you saw them this morning to pick them up from school. Stop this. And he's just really like, he's trying to do this narrative that his family's being ripped away from him. And that Kim is, you know, evil and that she has this boyfriend who he doesn't want around his children. And he's trying to paint him in a certain way too. But it's very threatening. And it's like, I feel like we're watching, you know, at the very, like emotional abuse happening live on Instagram. And it's happening between two of the most famous people in the world. And it's really unsettling because, I mean, I have a podcast that's about a sh television show that that addresses, you know, rape and murder and, and violence against women and children. But, and like, we talked about this where we're like, this is when people say like, why don't women leave? Like, why don't you just walk away? Why don't you do, it's like, this is the most power, one of the most powerful women in the world. And look at what she's going through, you know? So it's like, it's really, really unsettling to watch what's being unfolding between them. Mm -hmm. Tian, do you think social media sites have a responsibility to kind of try to nip this in the bud? I mean, I think it's very upsetting that they, <laughs> that the most they can do is like take away his Instagram for 24 hours only after he like, broke their community guidelines of using a racial slur and not the very obvious threats of violence and emotional abuse that's taking a like taking place over the past couple months like I've been following a little bit and and Carrie you hit it like right on the head it's just it's it's absolutely terrifying to see two of the most powerful people most famous people Kim experiencing this level of like partner emotional abuse and it's in plain sight and no one can do like nothing is actively being done to hold him accountable, really. And like, she has the resources, she has the evidence, and yet nothing. And these social media, I think they have a responsibility to do a lot more, but they don't give a shit. So I, I it's never going to be like 
a meta justice. Um, <laughs> the metaverse is never going to have its own form of meta justice. So I, 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 I wish they did, but they just won't. I might actually partake in the metaverse if there was a meta courtroom. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's a TV show I'd watch. Meta court? And then court. <laughs> yeah, we could just, we could just, oh, that would be. Okay. You guys, Judge Judy. It's just the dancing Shrek meme as the judge. So it's just like. <laughs> I was going to say, make this Judge Judy second act. <laughs> no, I want the, the dancing Shrek to come out and announce the verdict. Yeah, just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Tiana's dancing like. Oh, dancing yeah, yeah I forgot. Meme. This is an audio, audio medium. <laughs> um. Alyssa, like, you know, we've, we've, this is another issue that we've kind of talked about, especially when it comes to news. Like, what? I mean, could she go to the police? Like, would the police do anything? I mean, I think she could. I mean, like, here's the thing of all people who I think would get a response, it would be Kim, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like out there. It's her abuse and stalking is reported on not just like, the nightly entertainment news, but it's made like the news. And mm -hmm. so I feel like of all people, if she wanted him to be held accountable, she would have a better chance. Also, she's a lawyer. Um, she would have a better chance than the average woman, right? But I'm sure for many reasons, she doesn't want to do that. Um, otherwise, I feel like she probably would have by now. Yeah, you know, I'm. I was just pulling this up, um, so I, I don't have this. I'm not going to like pretend that I just like have this at the recall because my my brain is broken. But um, there was a 2015 Supreme Court case actually that dealt with um, a violent ex making very very scary statements online. The Supreme Court ultimately didn't make it easier for people to go after legally people who were threatening them online. So there was a, it was a case of a man named Anthony Ilanis who was convicted of threatening his wife. This is from Politico. He was threatened, threatening his wife, a kindergarten class, uh, police officers and an FBI agent uh, with really scary Facebook posts. And his defense was that he was just kidding. They were tongue in cheek, like rap, rap music. He was writing rap music and uh, essentially, his conviction got thrown out because um, the the uh, ruling said that a reasonable person's conclusion about the statements being threatening isn't enough to sustain a criminal conviction. So basically, like crazy rants online, the Supreme Court has held don't necessarily constitute threats, which I'm sure Kim knows because she's a lawyer. But um, yeah, it's 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 really fucked up and it's not very safe out there. And we have people making laws around digital safety that like need their emails printed out. <laughs> you know, like yes. we live we live in a a uh, geritocracy where yeah. <laughs> most of the people in charge of this country are much older than the population at large. So it's it's really upsetting. And how do you think this ends, Kara? Like, how, how does this end? I mean, the scary thing to me is that Kanye is like so performative. Like, I don't know, like he's so into like his art and everything that I worry he would do something crazy just to be like, we're the king and the queen of like the, the, the artistic media world or, do you know, like of pop culture almost. Like I'm worried he would do something crazy. I, he seems to love his kids. I hope he, he wouldn't do anything to one of the kids, but I don't think you can put pat, anything past somebody who, 
I think has documented mental health issues. If not, then insert me saying allegedly here. But I think it's like documented, but because Kim has talked about it, where that he that he needs help. Um, and so I really don't know. Like I. Uh, with them, it's like, I don't know, maybe she breaks up with Pete and this all just goes away. Maybe it's like something about him that's specifically setting off Kanye. I doubt it, but like, I don't know. I really can't say, uh, but I just, I really hope that he, I hope that like a lawyer or somebody, a business manager, someone that he can listen to can like explain to him how he's jeopardizing like his probably his custody, yeah, his career, you know, like, and, and maybe he figures out a way to back off and he gets some help, but I don't know. Tian, how do you think, like, what would you like to see happen? And like, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I mean, I, I would like to see more of the coverage around it be more nuanced and thoughtful about the abuse. Cause I think that will help to just garner public support and 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 sympathy for domestic violence and and emotional abuse because i feel like the media is still doing such a terrible job of treating it like it's a feud like that both partners are that that both of them are in equal power dynamics which is simply not true and are are wielding their power in equally violent ways also not true it's very one way and so i i hope that like for because they use the media, that that the media starts to become wiser to that. I, 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 I'm fearful that he will continue to use his art for, you know, he had that music video that came out where he's kidnapping and burying a Pete Davidson claymation lookalike. Like, I think people will continue to look at the things he puts out and kind of talk to it as though it's just art when I think people need to look deeper into the intention behind it and like the real threats and scariness of it. I hope they figure it out. It just feels like it's no one is around him that would, it doesn't feel like anyone is around him that he would listen to. Like, I think that's the scariest thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you said hopeful, but that was just, <laughs> none yeah. of that was hopeful. No, no, I, I think your point about the, the unequal way that the violence is being wielded is really, really apt. And I think that you're absolutely right about, it's not like, yeah, it's not a feud. It's not a feud if I'm being chased, Mm -hmm. if I'm being chased by a bear. I'm not in a feud with the bear. The bear is trying to eat me and I'm trying to get away. (laughs) And like to write about a clearly abusive dynamic as like, oh, this lover's conflict. Yeah. It's like, no, that's wrong word. Wrong word. Um, Alyssa, any closing thoughts on, you know, what is happening between them and what you hope happens? Yes. Yes. Aaron, I actually do have some deep thoughts on this one. I would like Kim to, well, one, we know that she has security. Her house probably has the best security. She travels with security. So of all people being harassed online and in real life, she's probably in a better position to remain safe than other people are. Um, That said, I would like her, when Kim puts her mind to something, it does tend to happen. And so I would like Kim to raise awareness around domestic violence, domestic abuse. I think that she could help so many people if she helped explain why it happens, why it's bad, and maybe help provide resources for people um, who are victims. So that's my dream. That's my wish out of this very weird, bad situation. 
Yeah, that, I think that's the best possible way we can move forward or Kim could move forward. And I, I like nobody deserves any of what is happening. No. It doesn't it doesn't matter like how much you don't like them or how much you don't want to watch their show or how much you think that sometimes what she says is clueless. It's like nobody, nobody deserves yeah. to, to be stalked and abused and harassed by a former partner. So um uh, before we take a break, a quick note. If you're experiencing domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is open 24-7 and speaks English, Spanish, and over 200 other languages through an interpretation service. So if you need help, you need to talk to somebody, call today, 800-799-7233. That number is 800-799-7233. And I think that they also actually have an online option because we've talked about this. They have an online option that I think also you can view privately so that no one can check your browser history. So if like the computer doing it on your phone is easier, I just wanted to point that oh, out. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank yeah. you for that, Kara. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're all still going to be here and we are going to wrap the show with an I Feel Petty. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. And welcome back to almost the end of the show, but not quite the end of the show. We still have to share with all of you, our listeners, what we're feeling petty about this week. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. Stuck with Damon Young is the newest podcast from Crooked and Gimlet on his show. Award-winning author Damon Young explores the uncomfortable, hideous, and hilarious absurdity of being black in America. He's joined by some of the brightest minds and boldest voices of the black community, including Nicole Hannah-Jones, Sam Irby, love her, one of my favorite writers, Jason Reynolds, and more. You're going to love this show. Listen and follow Stuck with Damon Young only on Spotify. Okay, house has been kept. Kara, what are you feeling petty about this week? I am feeling extremely petty about a piece of vestigial technology that I think needs to be banned from the planet. It has been the bane of my existence this entire past week, this week that we're in and last week, the fax machine. Can we be done with faxes? <laughs> Can we get rid of fax machines? Like, we all have computers now. The internet is working. Let's, you can do password protected <laughs> documents. Like people are like, it's not as secure. Oh, really? It's secure sitting in a tray around 25 <laughs> nurses and random receptionists. Like they're sitting there for an hour. I've been trying to get one piece of paper across Los Angeles for eight days. Oh my and their fax machine simply, the number that they are giving me simply does not work. And I just don't understand why fax machines cannot just be buried. <laughs> along with rotary telephones or whatever, although those are kind of fun. Those are kind of fun and vintagey. But no, I want fax machines gone. And if you are a part of the fax lobby, please um, do not DM me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, you could like walk the piece oh. of paper across. You could you could just tie up a little like bindle and put it on. A I was stick. getting close, but we're talking Verdugo Hill. We're talking like almost San Marino area of Glendale, all the way to Santa Monica. This would take me hours. Oh, and I'm yeah. just trying to get one piece of paper because I just want to change from an old doctor to a new doctor, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh. it's been making me nuts. So I feel very petty about it. Ugh. I completely agree with you. I had, I, I, I'm in, it's W2 track down season and I've been, oh. the, <laughs> oh. and I called one play, payroll place and they were like, you can fax. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just get audited. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna fax this paper. I'm not gonna do it. And places always will be like, you can fax it. And I'm like, is there an email? And then they will have an email half yeah. the time. And it's like, why didn't you open with that? I don't want to do the fax. Yeah. No one no, has one. Nobody wants to print. That's the thing. The mm-hmm. printer. So what they're trying to do is get you to use the fax machine and print it out for them, basically. It's a good and point. If you have send them as an email, then they have to print it out. And nobody yeah. likes printers either, because fuck a printer. We all have cameras in our pockets. We need to be moving on from fax machines. Yeah. I think, yeah, paper in general, we don't need it. And now that leads seamlessly into Aaron's I Feel Petty. Paper. (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Uh, Get rid of it. Uh, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? You guys, I'm feeling petty about the fact that Hollywood is trying to normalize cannibalism. Like, why do we have to do that? Of all the things that we have to normalize, I just like, I don't think this is one of them. And at first, you know, like the Yellow Jacket show, you guys know if, I mean, you know, I'm easily nightmared. Okay. Night terrors come easy. When I was little, I slept on my parents' floor for a month after ET. Okay. So like, admittedly, though, you know what, Kara, what doesn't give me nightmares? SVU. I can watch the I most know you're gruesome a fan. episode oh my God. and be totally fine. However, not the one about cannibalism. And so yesterday I was sitting here minding my business and I get an alert from the Hollywood reporter that Timothy Chalamet is doing a movie or show about cannibalism. And I feel that's really crossing a Rubicon. Like I feel like Timothy <laughs> Chalamet doesn't need to be involved in cannibalism or making it mainstream. So that's my to- <laughs> feeling about it. And I feel sad because I'm not going to be mainstream anymore if I can't watch the shows that everyone's watching and talking about because I'll need 10 edibles to be able to quiet my brain and go to sleep. <laughs> I would like to see him do a softer side of cannibalism, though. That's no, what I'm excited about. A, a, very, mainstream. a very soft you and like approachable, also, palatable cannibalism. As I've said, in a cannibalism situation, I know that I would be the first to get roasted because I'm somewhat succulent. And so I think that makes me nervous too. I don't want people Wait. sitting next to me on a plane and being like, jackpot, like in case we go down. Do you I, remember when Alive came out, Alyssa? Yeah. The movie Alive? I mean, that was like the talk of the world. I avoided the trailers <laughs> of that movie because I was so afraid. I was like in eighth grade and people were like, did you see Alive? And I'm like, I'm too scared. Like, I can't watch yeah, that. Yeah, no. Like, I- no, I'm going to sit home and watch the Waltons instead. Thank you. Call me when you get to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my, like, we were texting about this yesterday, Alyssa and I were, and I... My response was like very whatever, like film grad student. My husband does have a graduate degree in, in film. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's wh- that's why when we're like, we're going to discuss a film. Um, but I was like, my pushback on that is that like, I feel like cannibalism 
speaks to like the zeitgeist in a way that a lot of like trendy horror topics spoke to their respective zeitgeist. Like slasher movies in the 70s was like uh, like fear response to like the advances of feminism and like zombie movies in the 50s, like a fearful depiction of what like mass assimilation looks like. Wow. And, but Whoa. cannibalism <laughs> is like we've just lived through this period of time where we've proven over and over again that we do not give a fuck about each other in oh. this country. And like, we are so callous to each other that would we, you know, the horror movie version of that is us actually consuming each other, us (gasps) using each other as food because we don't give a shit about each other anymore. But that doesn't mean you have to like watch. That's what I'm saying. Like I co-sign that that's why it's happening. I'm just, I feel like also that's not why Hollywood's doing it. I think they're like, yo, people like yellow jackets. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And they took away the wrong things. They took away the wrong things from yellow jackets. They're not like, oh, well, yeah, Hollywood is like, what will people like, not what do I like? Actually, this whole town of L.A. is like people standing in line for things that other people like without deciding whether or not they like (laughs) it themselves. And that was the best film studies class I've ever been to. I know. That like just blew my mind. mind. You see me? If you could see me, I would, my mouth, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> well, there's a really good book if you like, if you like to nerd out about like movies or whatever. I'm very, very uh, fraidy cat about horror movies. I have to read a total synopsis. Me too. Before, but I will watch them and I'll enjoy them. Like I thought, I love Ari Aster's movies. I think Hereditary and Midsummer were both fantastic. Um, but I had to fully be like, okay, this is the part where Tony Collette is on the ceiling. Uh, you know, like I had to know in advance that it was coming, but there's a great book that I read, uh, parts of in college. And then I read the whole thing later called men, women, and chainsaws, which is like a kind of feminist film critique of like horror movies and slasher flicks. And it and analyzed like the final girl and what it means. And all. it's really like cool. So if you like that stuff, it's like, that's I love a, that. Okay, it's a yes. fun book. It's, it's a fun book to like read in, in pieces. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Um, so here's what I'm feeling petty about this week. I'm feeling petty about cabbage. Cabbage is a vegetable that is so easy to overcook. I think we should just be done with it if we're going to cook it. I think we can we can lightly saute it, little sesame oil. I think that 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 some Asian cuisines are great with cabbage, but I think like European cabbage preparation. No. I made some, like, corned beef and cabbage for— Oh, yeah, St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, yeah. And, like, the Trader Joe's pre-corned corned beef, because I have cured my own corned beef before, and a lot of work. It takes, like, 10 days. Don't recommend. But I use the, like, Trader Joe's whatever, and I was like, I'm going to throw in some cabbage into my Instant Pot, see what happens. The cabbage came out like wet tissue paper. It was just like wet Kleenex. Like it was, I had to like scrape it off of the other food and just we, European preparation of cabbage. We just need to be done with it. We can let other cultures handle cabbage, but like, I just think like Irish cabbage prep is, is terrible. No more, no more (laughs) of it. I'll have a cabbage slaw. I'll enjoy some stir fried cabbage that is prepared in a manner that, that preserves some of its integrity, but like the, the mushy, way that I specifically fucked up Irish cabbage preparation, we need to be, need to be done. It's not my fault. It's Europe's fault. <laughs> you want to keep it cruciferous. You yes. need to keep it like exactly. a crunchy veggie. Exactly. You okay. want to keep it as close to like 
you know, hu- like like the taste of a human bite. Exactly. You want it to keep it crunchy, work I want through it, it. Sinewy. I want must, <laughs> yeah. I want chewiness. I want it to like have a almost like a bloody, you know. Um, okay, that's what I'm feeling petty about. Tian, what are you feeling petty about this week? I'm feeling petty about the fact I don't know. I just I downloaded a meditation app and I'm feeling petty about the fact that my meditation app is fucking bullying me. Um <laughs> I got a notification today that was like, hey, it's been two weeks since you last meditated. Um, Do you need tips on how to stay on track? And I'm like, okay, bitch, I know I haven't found three minutes a day to sit with myself. I don't need to be reminded that I am missing that. It makes me so mad that this is built into this app that it's telling me how bad I am at meditating. Like that is only increasing my anxiety and making it harder for me to return to the three minute a day meditation. (laughs) And I know it's just three minutes, but I haven't found the time to do it yet. I'm getting bullied by my app and I feel petty by it. Oh my God. It reminds me of like when you get a text from somebody and you just, and and they're like, so you just don't respond to me now? (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, well, now I don't. I for, I yes. saw your text before and I just forgot to respond. But this little, this little snippiness will not be rewarded with attention. Yeah, this passive aggressive meditation app is really not winning me over. <laughs> I, had a, I had a water app that was like that where it was like a million reminders a day. Like, you, you're not drinking your water. Come on, you you still have time to drink that water. And I was just like, stop it. Now I'm just gonna, now I'm just gonna purposely get dehydrated just to spite you. I know, that's where I'm at right now too. I'm like, I will keep all the stress and anxiety in my body because you're bullying me. I will not sit with myself. I will not sit with myself. My feelings are rafts on a river in my brain and I will hop on each one of them. Yes. <laughs> Rather than watch them pass me by. Oh, I I too used to have, I think, the app that you're talking about. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Kara and Tien, you two are just lovely. Lovely, lovely. Thank you to Rebecca Coakley for stopping by to talk to us about the ADA. Alyssa, per usual, thank you for being my ride or die. Um, How should people get in touch with us if they want to get in touch with us? Um, Should they email hysteria at crooked.com? They should, but, you know, our our, uh, warning every week is if you email us and it's like shitty and funny, we will be passing it around. A hundred percent. To be ridiculed. So just, uh, you know... Keep keep that in mind before you write us a hate mail. Can um, we start a fax line? Oh, <laughs> oh hell yeah. If you have anything to say about me specifically, fax, fax it. it. <laughs> fax it to 555-Kara-Hate. Um, and uh, listeners, thanks to all of you. And if you like what you're hearing, rate us, review us, tell your friends. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a crooked media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. 
Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC.